Ladies, gentlemen, or what have you, I'm Orion Lavelle. And I'm Travis Madigan. And you're listening once again, or perhaps the first time, who can say, to Tooth and Nail, a monstrous podcast where we talk about D&D monsters, at least for now, perhaps the future... Who knows what that holds? <laughs> Everything I'm... is very concrete and for sure. <laughs> in this show. I like it. just like a very direct statement followed by, well, maybe not. You're listening to Tooth and Nail, perhaps, where we sometimes talk about D and D monsters and other ones. We're Schrodinger's podcast. Yeah, yeah. But by listening to it, you have determined that the podcast is dead and you should move on. <laughs> Dead just like your players, for we are talking about a seriously dangerous monster for early level characters, the bugbear. Yeah, it's our first kind of staple creature that isn't a big bad beholder kind of character. This is is definitely one of those early, like, goblinoid kind of baby's first dungeon monsters. Yeah. As such, you know, this is a good teaching moment monster, not just for the players, but also for the DM, because the bugbear... You know, it's kind of funny and ironic. The bugbear is, like, totally banal, like, in no way surprising whatsoever, except for this one specific thing that makes it unique from every other monster we've done so far, and possibly, like, many monsters to come. Mm -hmm. It's very strange. So, like, so, and let me just, like, because this is kind of an important PSA that I have made the mistake in the past. DM beware. Bugbears are one of these, like, weird kind of monsters mechanically that subverts the way we think of challenge rating, or at least, like, undercuts how we think of challenge rating in a way that can be very dangerous. So, like, all cards on the table, the only party wipe I have ever done as a DM was with bugbears. Oh, yeah, that was us. Yeah, that was you guys once upon a time. <laughs> I what with that. The, the fucking mind flayer psionic. Yeah, I was a fucking, yeah, I was a mind a flayer soul knife mystic. Yeah. There was no conceivable universe where I should have gotten wiped. Yeah, yeah, and it's just because <laughs> bugbears are weird and I didn't, like, pay close enough attention. It's one of those things where, like, this is a kind of monster that I feel validates the reason why we do the show. Because nowhere in the book will tell you this little tip, and it could very easily end in disaster if you're not looking closely enough at the stats yep. of the bugbear before you use it. So, yes. So, yes. Be be careful, and we'll tell you why throughout the episode. Let's get this thing done. Copyright infringement. Let's go! So in terms of artistic representation, in terms of the picture that we get with the bugbear, uh, it's kind of silly. So like the bugbear pretty much just looks like a wolfman in armor. Like the, Yeah, it's got a little bit of a, a half wolfman, half ape face. I, I like see a firm wolfman in this. The resemblance to me is like kind of uncanny. It looks like a mm. real universal ass wolfman. Yeah, I know what you mean. Kind of like a... Like a cartoon-esque wolfman yeah yeah so they're they're they are about human sized i think they're supposed to be like six seven feet tops they are covered in brown fur they have these really long pointed wolfman ears they have really long wolfman bushy fucking glorious eyebrows yeah they 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 peak these eyebrows peak off the head yeah it's like (laughs) it's like a night elf in world of warcraft they just go straight off (laughs) eject from the face like a crazy eyebrow rocket. 
And then it's got a glorious bushy wolfman mutton chop beard. It sure do. It sure do. And it, it also, you know, it has the pronounced canine, specifically lower fangs. And uh, it has like, um, I couldn't really think of the, the proper, I guess it is ape-like, right? It's a gorilla-like nose. It's one of those downturned kind of things. Yeah. Uh, it took me a while to settle on ape because I was looking at that nose for a while because all I could see was wolfman. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't uh, attribute it to an actual animal in real life all i could think of was wolfman but it is very gorilla like yeah i had to kind of like put my thumb over the top of its head and just look at the framed mouth with the nose and i got kind of an ape vibe yeah yeah the lower (laughs) face is very ape-like i see that now yeah so they dress typically or at least the picture that we get they dress in that pointy black leather armor common in like the it's very skyrim it's very high fantasy barbarian so they have, you know, the single pointy pauldron and then the the belt around their chest with the bracers. And they they have the fucking like the like corset loincloth armored, yeah. like a wrestling the warriors, belt. The warrior's girdle. Yeah, a warrior girdle. <laughs> I never really thought of what to call this, but, you know, it's that Skyrim fucking thing that is on every barbarian these days. <laughs> and And kind of comically, they have black nail claws. And I, I, oh, yeah. I understand that it's probably supposed to be like how dog's claws are just naturally black, but I cannot help but think of a bugbear just waiting in line in Hot Topic in 2005, <laughs> just like, you know, just lightly bobbing their head to some shitty tier Ubastank song. <laughs> Look, goth bugbear is now my next character, so. <laughs> eh, fine. <laughs> they also have a big spiky club in the picture. I, you know, it's just like a hunk of wood with some spikes riveted onto it. If I had to make any real insightful opinions on the art that we get, it's that the armor and the weaponry, it looks very considered and crafted in such a way that it it hints at... So we're not going to get into the larger goblinoid culture, like goblin hordes, like writ large, but they have like a very war machine kind of semi-regimented quality to them that if I had to make any, you know, guesses about the art that we get, the armor and weaponry that bugbears have hint at this kind of considered well-forged or at least factory-forged armor thing that a a war machine would have, that a horde would have. But beyond that, it's just another big, angry, hairy thing. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the lore we get on bugbears, it's also very standard. They're depicted as... You know, the very prototypical evil race of murder savages. So, like, you know, orcs and gnolls and any number of other monster races that we get in D&D has this general ethos about them. This is, like, the first time we kind of have to have this discussion, I think, because this is our first quote-unquote murder savage race that we have. Yeah. I'm generally against it. I, you know, inherently evil races in fiction, to my mind, speak to that whole, like, xenophobia and grander arrogance by... Our real world culture, right? So Yeah, it's lazy. It's kind of lazy. <laughs> it's kind of lazy. It's a little bit mean-spirited. I think that this is mostly agreed upon, though, by the people whose opinions matter to me. So I won't harp on yeah. it very much longer. Just for completionist's sake, I wanted to say gross. And that, you know, for the most part, I'm pretty bored of, like, tribal violence machines in fictions. Yeah, I was going to say, you'll find that every, well, not every, but... of the tribal barbarian sort of cultures in D&D are bad guys. Yeah. They're, like, always bad guys. Yeah. The the exception being 
wood elves and even like yeah so like they have to like unless they're like prim and proper elves they're bad guys yeah so like you know worst case scenario it's kind of gross best case scenario it's just kind of lazy and boring right so like every fantasy world has a murder monster race that is just like oh i like violence and i hate elves that sort Mm -hmm. of thing I, I'm pretty okay with not seeing it again, or at least see it heavily complexified in a way that is not also tropey. So, like, you know, even when I see this kind of thing complexified, it still ends up being like, oh, it's a noble savage culture. It's the Dothraki. They're not murder machines. They have, they're very, you know, it's that kind of, yeah, that that sort of flavor to it which isn't much better. So, you know, for those of you who are morally bothered or at least bored by this trope, feel free to adjust or complexify or change the lore as what makes you comfortable. Or, you know, just don't use goblinoids. Put your bugbear in a suit with a tie. Yeah, whatever. Whatever you gotta do to make bugbears <laughs> feel okay to you. That's that's your prerogative. As I rec- Actually, thinking about it, like, <laughs> the kind of bugbear in a suit and tie thing is very Shadowrun. Yeah, like, yeah. And that's that that would be kind of neat and cute in like like we briefly alluded to Volo's guide has some extra depth to goblinoids and orcs and all the other murder machine races that makes them a little bit more interesting. And as I recall, I kind of like the the culture to how various types of goblinoids interact. But, you know, that's not necessarily for this time. I just wanted to bring it up because like. I thought it was mildly interesting. It's the most interesting thing that we get around goblinoid lore, to my mind. Yeah. So, in the lore that we get, bugbears survive by hunting and raiding whatever is generally around, sometimes reluctantly banding under a leader that can guide them to more murder and treasure. Often, they're in the company of the other two kinds of goblinoid that we get, the goblins, the regular goblins, and the hobgoblins, which are, like, bigger kinds of goblins. As we mentioned, in Volo's Guide, the relationship between goblinoids gets kind of complicated, but for our purposes right now, the book tells us that bugbears are very keen on enslaving the smaller, squishier goblins, and then will also often, if they find a group of bigger hobgoblins, they'll just kind of inject themselves into the group in order to get at some of the food and gold. Right. (laughs) They're like, they're the middle ground between goblins and hobgoblins, they're just kind of like the... I always read them as, like, the the bigger brutes, so it's, like, goblins are the squishy little ones, hobgoblins are the middle ground, and then bugbears are the, the like, you know, the big, kind of, the most, quote-unquote, savage of the goblins. Hobgoblins are, like, the brains, aren't they? Yeah, to, I, as I understand it, hobgoblins yeah. are, like, the commanders and the tacticians. Yeah, so it's, like, there's the goblins, then you've got bugbears are the muscle, and the hobgoblins are the brains. Yeah, and it, you know, because goblinoids generally are sneakier as a as a monster so it's it's relative but yes bugbears while still very stealthy and they're actually you know they fulfill the role of the scouts and the ambushers and the survivalists within the the larger horde uh but they are you know comparatively the burly bruisers as well which is kind of neat i don't usually see that combination of archetype I don't yeah, usually they're see. Like, they're like a strength-based assassin. Yeah, which is, <laughs> you know, at the very least in video games and in tabletop games, a combination you don't often see the strength rogue. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of mildly interesting. So bugbears, like every murder monster race, get their standard D&D-ass god of battle that forms their entire culture. So, you know, in the same way that orcs and goblins and gnolls get. 
So this all shakes out pretty much the way you would expect. You know, the strongest bugbear is the leader of the warband, and they try to fight as much as they can in order to impress their god in the afterlife in the hopes of one day battling at their god's side. Really pretty basic stuff. There's nothing particularly interesting to distinct this particular battle god from any of the other battle gods. You know, if I was trying really hard, I think there is something mildly interesting in that their afterlife reward is to fight with this god as opposed to continued subservience. So like, so the god's name is Hrugek, who's mentioned to be a lesser god on the plane of Acheron. Whatever, just, you know, for completionist's sake, there are your details. As I recall, yep. orcs have a more subservient relationship with their gods and gnolls are kind of just more or less like extensions of their gods, which is the most interesting thing about gnolls, which we'll get to when we get to gnolls someday. Mm -hmm. So if there's anything mildly interesting to be said about this, it's that the fact that bugbears are less subservient and more equal to their god attaches to this comparatively less hierarchical structure of bugbear culture and that, you know, more or less everybody's equal except for the chief who's the strongest one. But that's only, you know, I'm, I'm really grasping at straws here for something worthwhile to say about bugbear culture. So, as mentioned, bugbears are surprisingly stealthy for they, they big-ass burly frame. They prefer to engage in ambushes, they prefer to ambush their prey, and will often bail if the fight doesn't go their way. In fact, while bugbears will generally stick around dependently while they can still get at golden food, all that shit goes out the window if they're in danger. Real danger. <laughs> and we get in the book that bugbears are completely fine with leaving behind other wounded bugbears to cover their escape if they need to. <laughs> they're not They're not family creatures. No, no, no. Absolutely not. And this is kind of where the book provides the adventure hook if you choose to use it. Should a wounded bugbear be left behind in that way, the book tells us that that bugbear will absolutely give up the location of the rest of the bugbears as a bartering chip for its life. So there you go. If you want to introduce... <laughs> For those of you who want a fucking lovable bugbear friend, this is your way of getting your bugbear companion to help hunt down other bugbears in your bugbear slaughter adventure. <laughs> Come, commit genocide upon your people with me. Yay! Huzzah! <laughs> yeah. So, like, truth be told, that's about it for bugbear lore. Uh, it's fine, right? It does the job. It's, uh... Yeah, it's, it's another goblin. Yeah, it is uh, another <laughs> murder machine creature. Yeah, goblinoid. Sorry, it's another goblinoid. It's another big, dumb, not very loyal, wants riches, loves fighting. I, I just feel like, I just feel bad. Like, typically we have more to say about lore or, like, interesting takes on lore. But I just, I got nothing. This is, this is just one of the ones in the Monster Manual, and there's going to be so many that we come across where they got shortchanged in the monster manual and then to fix that they get extra stuff in later books yeah i guess so when we do our episode on goblinoids writ large in volo when we do volo's guide in the future this will be a little bit more interesting but you know we can only work with so much <laughs> don't worry there's enough to talk about in uh theory crafting and uh warnings in the stat block so yes absolutely absolutely
So mechanically, these guys have a very strange design ethos that I said at the beginning is very treacherous to DMs and pretty counter to how every other monster works in the game. So let's get the facts out of the way and then we can do the theory crafting and all the whatnot that we do here. Yeah. They are medium-sized monsters. They are chaotic evil creatures. They have a challenge rating of one. They are equipped with hide armor and shields. Thus, they have a crazy high AC of 16 for their one CR. They have an approximately low HP of 27 and the average move speed of 30. As I'm, and I, I want to mention this again, as I'm often on record saying I'd rather have a monster with lower AC and more HP, but that's because I hate missing. And I understand like the desire to have an AC focused creature in your game. It's just not personally my cup of tea. Their attributes range from a very high strength and dexterity for more damage and more AC to pretty good constitution and then below average intelligence and charisma. So, you know, a bruiser configuration. They get a strong plus six bonus to stealth, giving them the tools they need to be the ambushers, and a plus two in survival, reflecting their natural kind of ranger abilities. They have dark vision out to 60 feet, which also helps with the nighttime ambushing. They have an average passive perception of 10, and they speak common and goblin. So an encounter with these guys could end in diplomacy, which we also haven't really talked about yet, really. You know, we tend to talk about combat a lot on the show, but mm -hmm. I personally, I'm always down for a conversation puzzle, you know, where you're, you let the party face get those persuasion checks in to overwrite encounters entirely. Right, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so, like, my hard stance, I endorse allowing your players to talk their way out of combat, especially with these guys, where combat could end in disaster fairly quickly if they go on for too long. Something I want to point out that I kind of just noticed looking at the numbers here. Uh, I think this is the first monster that we've come across that has expertise in something. Is that what that is supposed to be? It has expertise in stealth. The proficiency mm. bonus is plus two, mm. but it has plus four to the stealth in addition to its dexterity. Right. So that's how those numbers check out. That's very interesting. I think, I don't know if it's always so. Well, so it makes sense in this case because these guys are basically rogues. Yeah. It doesn't, I'm not necessarily sure that it always makes sense like that. Oh, I every I I always check the skills on creatures that we go through to make sure to see what the um what the proficiency bonus they've given the monster is because it's always right. It's oh they always calculate out correct. This is just the first one I've noticed they have given an expertise in a skill. <laughs> right, and I just think that's interesting that they decided to do that. Yeah, yeah, I like it here. I think in other creatures, I think other creatures do get bonuses to skills. It's just a little bit more arbitrary so like on top of their challenge rating bonus i think there are some monsters and i can't you know i can't really think of it right now but like beholders get extra points in perception that might not necessarily right so like sometimes right. the the bonus that they get might be arbitrary i can imagine i think i was thinking more humanoids not necessarily like monster monsters because hmm. you're definitely right like yes there are creatures that have like zero zero wisdom with like six perceptions. Yeah, I can guarantee fucking planetars or some shit have crazy <laughs> bonuses to something that they shouldn't plus forty nine. Yeah, shouldn't necessarily have the bonuses for, or at least not you know in a way that is fits neatly in the mechanical narrative in the same way that bugbears would have uh, expertise as like rogue monsters. Yeah, I think I was I was mainly thinking about like humanoids in in a sense that there are a lot of monsters that are in this book 
having gone through mostly the whole thing yeah where they are basically just kind of like a, a player character that has been given stats a player character could achieve yeah yeah and it's cool to see like the difference between oh we need to make this monster super good at this thing and we don't care if there's like a way to show that yeah and then there's stuff like this where it's like oh well this makes sense yeah yeah when it all checks out and makes sense it's very elegant and cool uh it doesn't always do that in no. the monster manual especially not with like aboliths yeah. and weird monsters absolutely but this is one of the times that everything that the bugbear gets makes sense within a comparable mechanical structure for players yeah so in terms of their traits they get some pretty rough bonuses <laughs> first things first they get a trait called brute which allows their melee weapons to do an extra die of damage. Real quick, bless Wizards of the Coast for including the extra damage in the attack roll. That's a nice little consideration, oh, ease yeah. of access thing that I appreciate. Oh, yeah. This brute trait shows up in these sorts of bruiser monsters that use weapons found in the player handbook. So this is like a mechanical way for a creature that operates in the same way as a player would to get extra damage without it breaking that... Without having a strength of 28. Yeah, that narrative. So, like, <laughs> bugbears use weapons that players can use. Brute, as a trait, is here to help pad out that damage to the appropriate range without it getting all fucky. So this is yeah. their hand-waving bugbears being able to do extra damage that a player of a comparable level couldn't do. So they get this extra damage from Brute. Keep this in mind, because this will end up being the source or at least one of the sources of a lot of concern about how bugbears operate in the early game we'll get to it in a second the other trait that they get is a minor version of the rogue's sneak attack it's called surprise attack and effectively what happens is whenever a bugbear surprises another creature and hits it with an attack during that surprise round they take an extra 7 2d6 damage so you know with brute with the heavy ass morning stars that they use with surprise attack, this is starting to look like a lot of damage. Let's uh, keep going a little bit further, huh? Mm -hmm. So the bugbear gets its choice of one of two weapon attacks. The first is its melee Morningstar, which has an above average plus four to hit and does a total of 11 on average, 2d8 plus two piercing damage. So putting it all together, you're telling me, Wizards of the Coast, that the average bugbear encounter begins with the bugbear sneaking up to the party, taking an attack with advantage with this Morningstar, and doing on average 18 points of piercing damage. Against a party of level 1s. Yes, so if it's one bugbear against a party of level 1s, to put it in perspective, the average fighter has at level 1 10, maybe 12 HP. This will knock them out instantly. This will flat out kill the level, the, you know, 6 HP wizard that you have. This will absolutely even kill the the rogue and the ranger. So like, mm -hmm. and that's that's with sneak attack damage. Without sneak attack damage, this Morningstar with average damage will just knock out the fighter in one go. A barbarian with maximum health roll and 20 constitution gets knocked out by this hit. Yeah? That's 17 health. Tw a D12 yeah, yeah, if they plus, get the sneak five. attack and everything, yeah. That's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, the, the bugbear could sneak up on the barbarian, the biggest thing, with the most possible health it could have at level one, and one hit knockout it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, it can kill everything pretty, you know, half of the classes yeah. could just in be killed hit. by a surprise attack <laughs> in this scenario. So, and this is like the, the main PSA takeaway for bugbears. 
because and, and I feel very strongly about this because I've made this exact mistake before because I didn't look closely enough. Bugbears are designed such that if you choose to use them how the book wants you to use them as ambushes and bruisers, they should probably not be used in encounters where the CR is equal to the party's average level, at the very least in the first couple levels. Yeah, for sure. Which is kind of bullshit, because every other monster is used this way. You know, the CR equals the the team of five average party level. This is yeah, just... A, bu- a bugbear seems to have been created to be used in groups. Yes, yes. Against later level things. Yes. So, <laughs> yes. So this is one of the rare times that the math of the creature doesn't necessarily attach well to the scale and metrics that... Wizards of the Coast uses to, you know, create challenge rating as this sort of I'm eyeballing it as a difficulty system. Yeah. And like, usually it's fine enough. Usually it's not a problem. But in this case, this is one of those examples of why we say CR is an imperfect system. And this is a very important reason for why it's always good to keep an eye on at least the damage capabilities of the monsters that you choose to use for your encounters. And then, you know, designing those encounters around this potential damage appropriately. And, like, in terms of its other stats, like, you can't even say, like, oh, it does that much damage because it's a glass cannon. Because at level one, a 16 armor class is kind of hard to hit. Yeah, yeah, it is very hard to hit. And, like, it, it's also kind of weird because just looking at it, it doesn't do much above what the average damage would be for a CR1 creature. It's just that because it's all sunk into one person, mm-hmm. you can't measure it in the same way and it's extra extra weird because usually like real talk you can give your players higher cr encounters than their level should take and that's usually fine yeah as it is if you use you know one or two bugbears for a level one or level two party this could probably pretty easily kill some weaker squishier characters i was gonna say even like you i think you threw two bugbears at us and we were level three. Yes. So when, I, okay. So like all hands <laughs> on the table, I did kind of a bad job. It was three bugbears for a party right. of level three uh, for three level three characters. Yeah. So like the, that, the odds were kind of against you, but D&D is kind of built that was, things can yeah, be kind like, of against you and you're still fine. We should have been totally fine. Yeah. Like the way every other monster is built, you could have thrown like five challenge rating one creatures at us and we would have been cool yeah so like when when i did this encounter it was kind of fucky because the one of the bugbear the party was separated and so one bugbear right. went for the artificer and then two other bugbears went for the mystic and then whoever the fuck the other person was rogue i don't know i think so the it was like oh it was the healer went into the cave it yeah. was a cleric so the healer goes into a cave and then gets knocked out, I think, instantly by yeah. a bugbear. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, like, truth be told, if I had known better, I could have designed that encounter such that it wouldn't be so crippling. But I didn't know better, and there was nothing in the book to make me think better. So... Yeah, I, I, it's like, if we had been a little more cautious, it would have been, we probably could have come out on top if we hadn't split the party, but that's just the D&D fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> but still, it, uh, it was shocking, and looking at the stat blocks, it's like, oh. Yes. I get it. Yes. <laughs> it is a hidden threat that the book doesn't really mention, because it's not necessarily how the book is written, right? There's no, like, Wizard of the Coast... D&D never at any point, like, focuses so hard on the math of D&D 
Mm. It would be kind of weird and tonally dissonant if there was a little blue box that says, careful, bugbears do a lot of damage. <laughs> it's just yeah. like a weird artifact of how the book is tonally written that, like, in this case, falls down. And I almost wish there was a little blue box that says, bugbears do a lot of damage. Don't use them for level one or level two teams. What do you think? Do you think it's the surprise attack that does it? Do you think it'd be fine otherwise? Or is it is it brute? I think that the surprise, I think it's both in combination. Right. Absolutely, it's both in combination. You probably shouldn't kill your level one or level two character in one swing. Yeah. I think that, you know, it, with just Brute, it's probably fine. Because I'm fine, generally speaking, with characters being knocked out. Because you can still yeah. make death saves. They're still, it gives the healer something to do. It's mostly fine. I am kind of shaky. Again, it's this just like for level one and level two characters... Even the instant knockout feels a little harsh just because healing is a little bit scarcer than you get, even as early as level three. Yeah, and still with just brute, if your wizard has a minus one constitution modifier, that's death. Yeah, that is also true. So, you know, all of these mechanical things can be designed around if you as DM are willing to design around them. So if you're worried that your wizard is going to be killed by a bugbear... Just don't have the bugbear attack the wizard. Yeah, I was going to say, don't go after the wizard. But like, and this leads to a larger discussion that I feel like we should save at the end, just because I think this is kind of an important conversation. Mm. And I want to talk about the rest of how bugbears work a little right. bit okay. first. Okay. Yeah. So like, you know, as a quick little addendum, if you are concerned about the bugbears damage, but you really want a team of two bugbears to fight a level two team party... Maybe don't use the surprise attack and just use it as a big kind of general straight monster encounter. That could probably still work out and be fine. Right. Again, you know, as we often preach, it is rare for a player to like getting knocked out instantly. And it's even rarer for somebody to like getting killed instantly. So be mindful of what your players like when using bugbears. So so that's the Morningstar. They also have the choice of a javelin attack, which is a very high accuracy plus four to hit. With a solid range for the thrown weapon, it's 3120. We don't, we haven't really talked about range in this. The idea is that, you know, one number is its effective range, and then anything past that, it makes the, the attack with disadvantage, and then anything past the second range, it just cannot do. Yeah. Um... I, I don't know if that's necessary to mention here. I just felt like, because we haven't brought it up yet. I don't think so. No, um... I, I feel like most people get it, or at least, you know. People who want to DM understand how range works. Yeah, they something that's interesting. I didn't notice this about javelins before, but javelins have a longer. Yeah, like the the way their range thing is. Yeah, multiplied out is different than every other ranged weapon. Yeah, I think that's why I thought it up this time. I think that's why I focused on it because the range was longer than I thought, and that is in fact just the range of a javelin. Yeah, the. So, uh, this probably doesn't matter, but normally a thrown weapon's range is, like, 20 to 60. It's whatever the short range is times 3 is the long range. But for javelins, it's times 4, which is usually reserved for, like, crossbows and shortbows. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I... It's, I was, that was just something I noticed. The way that they did the math for this was yeah. specifically different. Yeah. The javelin, it does 9 on average, 9 piercing damage, 2d6 plus 2 piercing damage in melee form or a slightly weaker 5 average, 1d6 plus 2 piercing damage at range. 
So yeah. the damage here is a bit more acceptable. Again, this is another one of those DM-controlled difficulty things. If you're worried about the Morningstar, just have them only use javelins. Though it will still knock out a lot of characters in one hit if they get the surprise attack. Yeah, so, the surprise attack does work on ranged attacks. It's not just the melee attacks. Yes, so it's not the hugest deal. Just remember that instant KO is probably less fun in, in the first two levels of D&D than it is level three onward. Yeah. So that's regular bugbears. There's also an upper level class bugbear called the Bugbear Chief. And as we often get with this sort of mob variety progression thing, the tougher version of the bugbear is just generally the same as the regular bugbear, but with bigger numbers. So, you know, it gets an AC of 17 as opposed to 16. It has 165 HP as opposed to 27 or whatever. These numbers mm -hmm. are proportionally the same as the spread that the regular bugbear gets. They're just more of them. So general things of note that make the bugbear chief different from a regular bugbear appreciably. It's a CR3 monster. It gets a small little extra boosty to intimidation, it being like the leader figure. Yeah. It gets a special trait called Heart of Rogek that gives it advantage on saves against being charmed, frightened, paralyzed, poisoned, stunned, or put to sleep. And it also gets a multi-attack for its melee attacks. That's pretty intense. Yeah, so that's this... A lot of, that's a lot of advantage. Yeah, so this little Heart of Rogek thing, it's nice in that... You know, you want something to distinguish your boss. This could very well be one of the first boss bosses that the party comes across. Oh, yeah. I think it's nice in that it helps create that intimidation factor that you want for a boss without breaking it. So, like, I'm imagining a scenario where you're fighting this guy a couple of sessions into being third level, where, like, at this point, the wizard has hold person and sleep and is kind of the MVP at this point with all these crazy-ass encounter-ending spells. You get to this guy... Oh shit, it's shrugging off all the spells that's been saving our life. How are we going to handle this? <laughs> I think that's generally what they're going for with the Bugbear Chief. Yeah. Yeah. So the multi-attack that it gets, it pads out the damage to an average range to for its CR. Since the damage is spread out over two attacks and the party is more capable of healing itself, I'm not as concerned about the damage here as I am with the... CR1 bugbear for a level 1 or a level 2 party. Yeah, no, no way. There shouldn't be any outright killing of players unless you're, as the DM, deciding to specifically go for the caster in, like, a surprise round. Yeah, a little bit of, since we did it last time, what's the, so, like, if it's a wizard, what's the maximum health a wizard could have at level 3 if their constitution modifier is 0, just 18? Yeah, at this point it's 18, it's probably closer to, like, you know, 16 yeah, it's mm -hmm. probably closer to, like, 12. <laughs> well, it depends on whether or not you do the average HP thing. It'd be, so, like, 14, yeah. 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 So, like... Still one-hit knockout, yeah. not a one-hit kill, though. Yeah. So, that's so, yeah. that's the plus. Yes. <laughs> so, for these guys, an ideal encounter is a little bit weird to form. I'm thinking that, you know, for me, bugbears are meant to be kind of an ego killer. So, like, to my mind, these are the guys that come at your party a little bit into level three when the class build stuff has come out and the players mm -hmm. feel ahead of the power curve, what with the assassinate and the hold person and all the shit that they get at third level. I was going to say, man, this would feel real good against like a, an assassin rogue who's just real high on his own shit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, <laughs> when they're getting snippy at you, when they feel like gods, you send in a band of two or three bugbears to silently ambush them and then it becomes... Kind of like a, a learning, the the first stage of the learning arc for the Banshee, such that 
you know, this is an encounter where some of the party is immediately knocked out and the mm-hmm. rest of the party is doing their best damage control as they can, trying to keep the bugbears off of them while also recovering the downed party members. Yeah. And it'll also give them a nice little introduction to how a lot of monsters work, how a lot of monsters can just suddenly KO your weaker party members without warning. <laughs> Welcome to the real world. Yeah, right? <laughs> Welcome to <laughs> Oakland, bitch. <laughs> Yes, so again, incidentally, because the damage difference between the Morningstar and the ranged Javelin is so much, another point of DM control difficulty could be, in a very subtle way, just have some of the bugbears stick in the back lines taking pot shots at characters while you have one melee bugbear with the Morningstar in the front lines to get the focus of the group. Yeah. Which, it, it kind of works because, you know, less experienced groups tend to spread their damage out because they don't know better that, you know, you want to remove monsters rather than soften monsters. Yeah, D&D is very much about focus fire. So, (laughs) as, you know, as DM, if you want your players to focus fire on a particular bugbear, have that one be the melee one. Do the, uh, like, the early Assassin's Creeds, where there's always the one guy that goes in and everyone else just sticks back. Absolutely, yeah. Fight (laughs) them kung fu style, one guy at a time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which, you know, if for less experienced players, this might be a, a decent thing to do. As for the chief, it's also kind of hard to say. So, like, if you want the chief to pull an instant KO on one of your squishier players, have him do a sudden ambush on the party. I think that might be kind of fun and neat because it subverts the the idea of, like, we're gonna, we're gonna stride up to the chief and challenge him in an honorable combat. Yeah. It kind of works, because that's not necessarily what bugbear culture is. Bugbear culture is kind of, I'm gonna stab this guy in the back. Yeah, it's very much... I mean, come on, they're super good at sneaking. Like, yeah. What the, why does that change when you're the chief? No. Yeah, so it kind of <laughs> reflects that idea in a neat way. But, you know, if you want to do the straight, I challenge you to honorable combat chieftain thing, it's your game, do with it how you will. As always... Feel free to tailor the arena as best you can for difficulty's sake. So, like, a smaller arena will mean the bugbear has more choice of squishier party members to pummel, whereas a wider arena, possibly with cover, gives the the rest of the players some way to duck out of javelins and also run out of the way of bugbears, kind of maneuver around them a little bit. Or, you know, since these guys are noted hunters, you could put a bunch of traps and spike pits in the battlefield as well to reflect that. I was thinking that, actually, yeah. Like, yeah cool hunter traps take the little bit of lore that we get for bugbears and apply it as best you can beyond that i'm not so sure there's too much to these monsters such that i don't think they need a particular encounter type in the same way that a bahir or a beholder does thinking about it actually that would be an interesting way to uh an interesting way to run an encounter for of bugbears is like they ambush the camp at night and it's they don't they don't, like, ambush and then stay in the camp. It's like a hit and run into oh. the woods. And then there's, like, traps in the woods. Oh, yeah, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, like a guerrilla warfare kind of thing. Yeah, because they're all about being sneaky, yeah. hitting really hard in the surprise. And then yeah. they could, what, what's stopping them from sneaking back out? Like, Absolutely. doing what the players' rogues do, except to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be a fun little, like coming out of the trees man kind of they're coming out of the trees and then like one of your party like goes into the trees and gets snare trapped in the foot and yeah, brought up into the tree mauled to death <laughs> that would be kind of cool and neat if you if you want to do that sort of thing um especially since they have the dark vision and i guess you know if you're if you're running a, a human group that would be kind of yeah. neat 
if you're one of the three races that don't have dark vision in yeah. D&D. Yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. So, yeah, that's, for the most part, bugbears. I've been thinking about this for a little bit. This is kind of tangentially related. It came up to the forefront earlier on. This is, like, the, the big idea that I kind of wanted to camp out on before we close out the episode. I've been thinking, right. you know, we typically preach that DM should subtly lie as best they can, should subtly manipulate encounters and enemy tactics to kind of tailor their gameplay to the wants of the players. I I think that the DMs that are adamant that the world needs to be absolutely honest. So like the book recommends that you as the DM, your job is to convey the world with absolute honesty. Mm. I think that the DMs who are like strictly like we must do this how a bugbear should be. I think they're the same kind of people that, you know, Sekiro shouldn't have accessibility. Sekiro shouldn't have an easy mode. They're the same kind of get good players, the same kind of get good culture around them. Right. Which, like, to my mind, the answer is that there is no prescriptive answer to someone's fun and that if somebody is less experienced, you know, you shouldn't necessarily treat them in the same way as you would a veteran team of D&D players. Yeah, right, of course. That's a good way to look at it, is um, the difference in experience of D&D players is a good perspective to put it in. Of course, like, you know, if the new D&D players are still like, I play Fire Emblem religiously, hurt me more, daddy, then by all means, have the bugbears do some sneaky shit on them. But I, I just think that, you know, I think a better way to phrase convey the world honestly is convey the world according to the tone of your campaign. So right. the party that wants to play Five Assholes Save the Planet is not the same party that wants to play Fire Emblem with Orcs. And I think that being in tune with what you want to do and what with what your party wants to do is the best way to ensure that actual fun is had by everyone. Yeah. Or at least the fun is had by the most amount of people for most of the time. Read the room. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it all comes down to immediate and direct communication. So your your session zero, the the talk that you have with the group before you start planning your campaign, before, you know, any of the crazy detail stuff comes into play, just literally, like, what do you guys think is fun? And then compromise in the coolest way possible with what you think is fun. Right. So that's that's my that's my hot take. Sekiro <laughs> could probably have a mode for players that don't want to not finish the game. Yeah, I mean, I already kind of made a status about that on Twitter, but yeah. I don't know, yeah. I'm, as like, I'm I don't... just, like, speaking metonymously, like, this little yeah. Dark Souls could probably have an easy mode, and regardless of whether it's in the spirit of the game, if you don't like it, just play it on regular intended mode. Yeah. I, I don't think that, I don't think society would topple if there was an easy mode in, in games, or if, you know, you fudge the numbers a little bit in D&D in order to ensure that your players have a good time. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So fuck you guys. <laughs> so fuck Everyone you, good-ass good motherfuckers. Get out of my podcast. No, I'm kidding. Oh, fuck. Wait, I, no. Uh, no, I don't think you are a get-good kind of player. I don't think so either. I, I have very complex opinions and thoughts on things, yeah, and yeah. they don't generally revolve around get-good. No, no. I think it's more, I my opinion is that everybody is good, they just don't know it yet. Yeah, sure. Sure. And like we have some friends who are that kind of gamer and like right. there there is like a time and place for it. I just think that games that are designed to be fun don't 
suffer from a little bit of accessibility for people who are bad at games. Yeah. Like, there's a way you could still... This is getting into a weird tangent, but, you know, there's a way to preserve a difficulty in Dark Souls for people who are bad at video games and still have it be challenging and give them the same general feeling that they would get playing the standard mode of a, of a Dark Souls game. Yeah. I mean, if we're going into the tangent full heart, my number one thing is, like, looking at Spider-Man for the PS4. Mm. The difficulty settings are there. It's whatever. They're kind of meaningless. It's just about health bloat, really. Yeah. Um, but the accessibility options are what are super Absolutely. important. Absolutely. Accessibility, but to my mind, is not debatable yeah your game should be playable to as many people as possible yeah it's uh, just i find that that's kind of where things people don't understand the difference between the two on social media sometimes Mm. and so when i say like i don't think sekiro needs an easy mode i'm not saying it doesn't need accessibility options and those two get conflated a lot yeah absolutely yeah so i think we're generally on the same level or on the same page for how difficulty in games should be handled in the future yeah yeah fuck that guy fuck that like uh the the fucking you you cheated cheated yourself yourself, you gained nothing (laughs) fuck you oh my god i hate that guy so fucking much (laughs) yeah let me play my goddamn game Anyway, if you want to be cooler than that guy, you know what yeah. you could do. You could check out some other Nerdsmith shows. It's true. You could check out some more Tooth and Nail. Uh, you could have a look at Countless Heroes, which is a cool actual play podcast. You could have a listen to D or DM, which talks more explicitly about, you know, tips and tricks that DMs could use and, you know, some like anecdotal evidence kind of things. It's very cool. It's run by Joe Collins, who you very recently heard on our show. He's a cool guy. If you listened to it. Yeah, go listen to that one. It's a good one. <laughs> Thing number the second that I wanted to mention, being an official Nerdsmith show, we get our Die Hard Dice sponsor thing. If you want a discount for Die Hard Dice purchases, use the super secret discount word BROLDER. That's B-E-R-O-L-L-D-E-R. Put that in when you make your order and it should give you a nice little discount on some pretty kick-ass dice. Where do they go to do this? Don't get it twisted. Just put dieharddice.com into your Google machine and it'll pop out where you need to go. Yeah. It's real cool dice. Very nice, high-quality uh, metals and some very nice resin dice as well. Yeah, I love the uh, the the picture for the polymer dice sets. Mm. The nice green, blue, and purple set. I would want some of those. Absolutely. Uh, so until next time, what's our creature comfort for this baby? Creature comfort. Well... Don't die. Yeah, just uh, stay alive. Yeah, get you some cocoa and don't get bludgeoned to death immediately. Yeah, don't let a bugbear sneak up on you and then bash your face in with your own hot cocoa. Yeah, make sure to clear your corners whenever you enter a room, I think (laughs) is... Clear the corners. Our tactical creature comfort for the night. Check the ceiling just in case. Yeah, just in case. Keep them morning stars out your brain. (laughs) And have a good day.